So let me ask you a question. Just show of hands. The biggest, the biggest uh, aha for me is studying this. I'd come at this with sort of the VBS approach, and I'm not picking on VBS, but totally passive. Truth is God's truth, and righteousness is Christ's righteousness, and and um, the helmet of salvation, and, and the notion that these are things I have to do is a new thought to me. Show of hands. Is how many of you this was a new thought for you'd heard that as well, or you know I understood this. Yeah. Um, that that was probably the biggest, like, oh, okay. And so questions with that? I mean, if I'm giving you something new, something you hadn't heard before, don't just take my word for it. I'm not an authority. Um, but hopefully I argued it from the passage that you see it. Any questions about that in general, um, the more active nature of this armor that we're putting on? Yeah, so as always, good stuff, the way you um, bring out. No, no. He's speaking into it. It's doing something for the recording. So the people listening on the podcast will hear the question. We're not doing any. We are not doing any. No, no. Speak into it. We're not doing any amplification in this room. But absolutely speak into the mic. Yeah. So it's always good um, as I listen to hear what is my part. And so my question is on number one and number um, if number one on the belt, the what I wrote down in my notes is that the focus is on how I live. Am I living it yes. out? Yes. And then, if I'm remembering right, on the breastplate, um, that also is on my conduct. Yes. So, can you clarify, differentiate a little more? Uh, because those both have to do with conduct. Right. And in, in the belt and the breastplate in particular, there's a lot of overlap with. And in one sense, Paul uses armor imagery elsewhere where he swaps it up. In First Thessalonians 5, 8, I believe it's the breastplate of salvation. So in one hand, it's not as though there's this mythical armor somewhere. Paul's grabbing imagery and he's using it and he's willing. Jesus does the same thing in some of his sermons on switching it up a little bit. In one sense, it doesn't matter whether it's the helmet of salvation or the breastplate of salvation. It's protecting and guarding you, right? Um, and that's the idea. So I, there is a big significance between, there is a big overlap between walking in truth and walking in righteousness, right? Um, so go back to four. And let me pull up my Greek here. Chapter four, Ephesians four. 24, I believe. Um, and make sure I'm right on this. I think I am. I believe I am. Um, let me read it here. And it's not that I... Yes, okay. It's, it's very clear. I've got plenty to do. No, no. So, so, no, look how it connects them. Let me read to you a literal translation. Like, a, not a literal. A woodenly Greek literal translation, okay? Um, and put on or wear the... Um, the new anthropon, the new man, the according to God, <laughs> the according to God created in righteousness and holiness of truth. So right there, righteousness and truth are combined. They're, they're char- so what characterizes the new man? It's made after the image of God in righteousness, holiness, and truth. Um, I think the ESV translates it true righteousness um but let me pull up another translation anyone else got anything different anyone not using the esv here um 
righteousness and true holiness, and New American Standard in righteousness and holiness of truth. That's probably, the New American Standard is probably the most literal, holiness of truth. But there, the notion of righteousness, holiness, and truth being brought together. So a belt of truth and a breastplate of righteousness that you're putting on, I would make a huge, in one sense, it's what I told you to do before. (laughs) But I do think it's helpful to think of both of those. Truth and walking in truth, I think, speaks primarily to our own integrity, um, that there isn't an outer appearance of one thing and an inner appearance of another. And I I think it's easy to imagine how if you are living that double life, you're not going to be ready to move. (laughs) You're not going to – on the other hand, the righteousness, the right conduct is the habits that you're making, the patterns you're, you're living out are going to prepare you for battle. And conversely, if you're not making those patterns, and I was just talking to someone the other day, challenging them on some area of obedience is hard. And I heard them say, well, I've been so faithless lately. Here's one more thing I could be faithless with. I, was like, I don't think they were doubling down on it, but that's the way we are. Fighting's hard. We want reasons to give up fighting. And it's easy to be like, well, I haven't been fighting all week, so why should I start now? Conversely, I, I don't know about you, but when I'm watching my food and exercising, I'm far less likely to eat junk because I'm thinking, man, I've been busting my hump all week riding my bike and drinking kale smoothies. I don't want to lose all my progress now, right? Um, and so I think a, a pattern of righteousness and, and mortifying the flesh and walking in the spirit is going to protect you in trial and temptation for both those reasons but but that's there isn't a huge amount of distinction between them there's enough overlap that you, you know yeah right right but i absolutely know the pattern of if i've been like eating junk and being lazy what's well, a little more <laughs> right in for a dime, in for a dollar. That's a that's, it's a personal pizza if you have enough faith in yourself. Any pizza is a personal pizza if you just believe in Amen. yourself enough, right? <laughs> right? Okay. Um, did I miss any blanks? Where's Where's Lee to give me my blanks? I miss. Um, any uh, Any blanks missed? I missed the first one. The very first one is. So 1A, our warfare is defensive. And I, and I made this point more last week, but it, it's getting out of this notion that like spiritual warfare is um, out there. Not, not, that, not that cultures won't be impacted by our faithfulness, but I, but I think the battle is always the front lines right here. Now, if Jeremy's faithful, it'll impact his community, it'll impact his city, and if enough people are faithful, it'll impact our nation. But I, I, I think the danger for us is to move the sites to the battle is reclaiming America for Jesus. That'd be wonderful if more people and our laws become more righteous. That's going to happen as millions of Christians fight a battle here, and then that bears fruit into their culture. The battle isn't moved to there, and that's the, the danger for us. I'd much rather the battle be someplace else other than right here. <laughs> It'd be a lot better to think the battle's about the election. The battle is about um, getting this law passed. And those things can be important. I don't want to make like they're complete, they're unimportant. They're not nearly as important as whether or not I'm going to be a good husband and father today. And that's the, the challenge. We, our hearts are master um, manipulators and master propagandists. And you tell yourself a lie that it's okay that I'm being gruff and impatient and a jerk. I'm doing something important. 
you got backwards, you know, um, you got it backwards. So that's the, the battle is defensive and the battle. Our warfare is personal is the second one. And yeah. Okay. So what uh, about, the, what about though sharing the gospel of peace? Is that not a offensive? It, no, it is, but it's still personal. That's it's still the battles here. Am I going to be afraid? Am I, no, there is no, there the isn't. Is, am I willing to do that? Right. The battle is about Paul. I mean, I, I I am greatly encouraged that Paul is like, I need your guys' prayers. I don't wimp out. Like, the danger is to think there are these people. This stuff's just easy for. You see how fearless Paul is. And you're like, well, he's Paul. And Paul's like, no, seriously, pray for me that I don't wimp out. I'm like, okay. Um, that, on the one hand, is encouraging. On the other hand, it's like, okay, then you need to prepare. Again, we give all these reasons to let ourselves off the hook. Well, Paul's a super Christian, so of course he's like that. And Paul's like, no, seriously, you need to pray for me because I don't want to wimp out. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, no, that that's part of the irony. And I, the way he even tried to word it, um, one one commentator said uh, literally uh, counterintuitively or, or, or paradoxically, we are ready to pre- be prepared to announce the gospel of peace even as we engage in intense spiritual battle. You know, um, but that's part of the battle as well is will I speak the words of life? There is a sense very much in which that is offensive. If I were to if the page was wide enough, I'd put our battle is primarily defensive Um, because I'd say me giving when we give counsel to each other. We're engaged in spiritual battling because go to Second Corinthians 10. Right. Um, Second Corinthians 10. Maybe if I look at it as you can't be offensive without a good defense. Right. No, right. And I'd say the battle here is the readiness. It's not even the preaching. So technically, it's not the preaching the gospel. It's being ready to preach the gospel. And that's where we're going to have to defense, because that's an entirely defensive battle, um, is the readiness. Am I going to be ashamed? And usually for me, it's just forgetting. It's just, oh, yeah, I'm an ambassador. I'm a herald. I've done a pretty poor job of herald. How's, how's your heralding been going? Hark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Second Corinthians 10 uh, makes it clear what the nature of spiritual, what, what we're fighting over in spiritual warfare. Um, and it's not the Crusades. Um, verse 3, even though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We're destroying arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and to take every thought captive to obey Christ. What are we fighting over? Thoughts, opinions, knowledge, strongholds, the thoughts of men. And so there is an offensive element when we're preaching the gospel. I want you to think something about Jesus, right? In counseling believers, I want you to believe truth and not lies. I want you to trust God and not your own wisdom, right? I mean, so there is some level of, of offense with this battle. But I think what Paul's primarily looking at is the defensive aspect of it. All the language is stand, resist, stand. And even though he places it, will you be ready to preach the gospel? The preaching of the gospel is offense. The readiness is defense. If that makes, well, the attack is going to be to make me not ready. And I remember just the other day, I, uh, a guy came to ask for some food here and some help. And I filled his tank and I bought him a pizza and I was absolutely ashamed. It never occurred to me until after we left. Like, did I share the gospel? Like, what on earth? Hmm. I was talking to him, asking what the situation is, deal. It was probably the whole thing took 10, 15 minutes. 
we're chatting and I bought him his stuff and got him his stuff. And I've totally forgot I'm a Herald. So we helped them, but we didn't, I, yeah, it was total fail on my part. And it was because it wasn't on my radar. I wasn't thinking Jeremy's a Herald. So. Which reminds me, you made me fail now. Oh, okay. On okay. Veterans Day, we got all kinds of free food. So while we were getting free food, we went and drove around and we saw people out begging. So instead of giving them cash, we gave them some of our free food and never took the opportunity to. Right. Right. Hmm. Right. So, so yeah, it's uh, the readiness. The battle for me was readiness. I wasn't ready. Yep. Um, I wasn't ready. So, okay. Other thoughts or questions on the notes on the stuff here going on? Or are we going over to Jake's class? To be. Uh, swift action. Fastening the belt prepares us for swift action. So that's so so having integrity, having walking in truth. And I think the idea is, you know, so, so much of the battle is is uh, spotting the lies and the half truths of our heart. And one of the one of the most common homework assignments I'll give in counseling is keeping a thought journal, because when you're stumbling over the same sin, it's helpful to identify the justifications your heart's giving you for doing it. Put, put them into words, you know. Um, so when you find yourself stuck with a, with a persistent, difficult to root out sin, what, what exactly are the lies you're believing or the half-truths you're believing? And then so, you, so it might be something like, I deserve this or it's not really that this isn't really that bad. Whatever it is that you're believing or it could be something more nuanced than that. Right. Um, this isn't that bad. Well, what's the truth? This deserves hell. <laughs> You're playing like, what are you doing? You're trampling the son of man underfoot. That'd be a truth to speak back to that. So knowing the truth, being saturated with the truth is critical based on the Hebrews passage to spot the error, to spot the half truth, to spot the propaganda when justifications come up. It ties right in with being quick footed and ready to move like, whoa, 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 that's not quite right. You know, like the serpent in the garden. You won't die. You know, and, and whoa, hold on there and spotting it. And so. Being in truth, walking in truth, we're going to see those things and respond to them. We're going to identify, that's not quite right, quickly, you know, swift action. At least that's how I sort of envision the, the, the swiftness, as opposed to something like that's not right, but I don't know what it is. Oh, okay. I guess it's not that important. Um, yeah. Other, yes, Linda. I made it easy. Okay. Okay, so then which uh, piece, or maybe it's a multiple pieces of the armor, when you have thoughts that just pop into your head that you don't want them to be there and you don't even know why they're there, your heart is, it's, you know, you, at least I question like what in the world would, is wrong with my heart that I, that that would even come in there. Like right. I'm not purposely thinking it, but it just pops in and it's like, oh, I don't want that to be there. Make right. it go away. Let's go to James 1. Let's go to James 1. God willing, we'll be studying James here pretty soon. So, what? Well, no, no, we got about we got about two to four more weeks in Ephesians, which will get us to December. 
And then I'll want to do uh, start Psalm 119, do something around Christmas. So, yeah, we probably won't start James till January, but um, we'll be getting there eventually. And uh, hold on, let me get there myself. <laughs> um, so look at verse uh, 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Another way I could put that is blessed is the man who's standing. Who stays standing. For when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So we're in the context of trials. And in the context of trials, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And what I think he's saying, and then he says what we are to look at. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires, and when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives forth death. Now, we know in one real sense, God does stand behind temptation and trials. He's sovereign. Um, he, we read the account with Job. He gives permission for Job to be tested by Satan. So there is a sense in which you can say God caused Job's temptation, right? I think what James is saying is that himself is key. God himself tempts no one. And I think the point is when you and I are being tempted, we need to look no further than our own desires. It could be Satan tempting us. I had a passage, we didn't look at it, but in Revelation 2.10, it says, um, the warning to the church there is, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison, that you may be tested. So the word parasmos in Greek can mean temptation or testing. And so in a real sense, the believers who are about to get tempted are tested by the devil, right? Um, And yet I think in every instance, I don't need to look any further than my heart my own desires. Satan would have no power to tempt me if there were not indwelling sin within me. And so James is saying, look, when you're dealing with temptation, I don't need to figure out, is it a demon putting ideas in my head? Is it my sinful heart putting ideas in my head? Is it my genetics? Is it lack of sleep? It's only having any power because it's got my desires at play. The other point to, to point out, Linda, is just having a wicked thought isn't make you guilty of sin. Look at the progression. Each one of us is lured and enticed by his own desire. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So, so desire has to be embraced by the will. And I think that coupling, when your will, so here's this desire, this lure going by you. And when your will says, yes, the, the, the fruit of that union is sin. Um, so if the lure goes by and whether it's from your heart or the devil or the billboard, some wicked thought, some sinful thing goes by. If you respond to it like Jesus did in, in uh, the wilderness, it is written. No, you haven't sinned any more than Jesus had sinned. Now, Jesus, because he doesn't have indwelling sin, it takes the devil himself personally to bring the ideas up. We have that inside of us doing the same thing. You know, why don't you grumble and complain? You shouldn't have to put up with this. The government's overreaching. They're being wicked. They're stupid. Tell them, tell people on, you know, tell people on social media what you think. No. You know, and you respond with truth and you don't sin just because the idea pops into your head. Just because the thought comes into your head, you haven't sinned until it is embraced. There's a space where when each one of us is lured and enticed by his own desire, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Desire itself isn't sin. I, I know there's a whole debate about homosexual sexual orientation that people argue about with this point. But James is clear. 
temptation has to conceive, desire has to conceive to give birth to sin, right? So are you asking, like, where does it come from, or what do you do with battling? No, and, and those things are reminders of our weakness and frailty. Like, I'll tell you what will mess me up is if I have a, a, a wicked dream, like, do I confess that? Like, at the very least, it's an evidence of what's in me. It's humbling. It's, sh- it's shaming. Like, I'm wicked and corrupt. I don't know if I need to seek forgiveness, but Lord, I'll definitely confess that I'm vile. I'll definitely confess that, like Paul, nothing good dwells in me. And I'll definitely ask God to cleanse my heart and to to renew me. And I think that's great. And I think God can let us wrestle with things like that. Serena had something similar to that for about two or three weeks after Abner was born. I mean, like panic attacks. Of just, just, what if I hurt my kid? What if I, Just terrible thoughts. Like, we have to pull over to the side of the road and pray. Um, because she'd just be, like, panicking. And... Another point, getting back to the battle's defensive, we're not knights going out and slaying dragons. You know, I sometimes think people think of the Christian battle as like we're going out and we're slaying demons and we're slaying, you know, and we're bringing back the head and putting it for our leech. I think it's much more like a child walking through the woods with their dad who hears the rustling and goes and grabs his leg. Like, that's our walk. And so anything that causes me to run back to God and ask for help is a going to bear good fruit in my life so if god allows your mind to be peppered with wicked things and the fruit of that is you're crying out to him and returning to him 27 times in the day that's good right i mean there's enough sin in my heart to to quote pilgrim's progress that's uh bunyan right bunyan there's enough sin in my heart to damn the whole world like it's there and if little sparks of it float up and remind me of what's in my heart, then God's apparently humbling me. That's good. I mean, the, the question is the fruit of it. If it causes, if it drives us to Christ and the cross, it is for our good. Now, if it makes us hang our head in shame and keeps us from feeling like we can come before God, then we're not responding to it rightly. But anything that's driving me back again and again to God is a good thing, or at least it's producing good fruit for me, right? Um, And so all of us, I think, would love to not have weird, strange, wicked thoughts pop in our head. Um, And yet God doesn't fully sanctify us now. And so, you know, those those things happen. And uh, I don't know if it's Satan or your heart or something you ate, but God has certainly allowed you to be, have this happen. And we got to learn to fight, but no, that's not true. No, yeah, that type of thing. Um, so. Yes, yes, yes. Well, that's the problem. Like, thinking is so important. What we think about is so important. And most of us are passive in how we, unless we're at a job that requires us to think, most of us are passive in our thoughts. We just go wherever the whims and fancy of our thoughts go, right? And that can be really dangerous. I remember once sitting back thinking about an, a, a summer afternoon I spent somewhere back in like 2000, no, 1998 or something. 
I was on a lake in Winnipesaukee. Oh, it was glorious. We're sailing my boat's little sunfish sailboat. And then I remembered the beer we were drinking. And then I was remembering what I was doing that night. And all of a sudden, my heart is like looking back fondly on wickedness. And I just sort of just got, went there. I, I, I didn't make a conscious choice to remember wickedness and delight in it. But what started out really simply is just, oh, yeah. Without, before I knew it, dude, we were back to the partying and the debauchery later that night. And I'm like, whoa, my heart is looking back fondly on something I thought I was ashamed of. <laughs> so we got to be on our guard. And we're supposed to, again, direct our thoughts, lead our minds. So Paul says, if there's anything, Philippians, right? Um, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. I've butchered the list, but that's part of the list. Um, anyone have that one memorized? If I can't quote it, i got to look it up. Sorry, that's my rule. Hold on, Philippians 3. Um, so Philippians 3, but the, the, think of the implications. If I'm following this thing through, I have a list of things I'm going to be, I mean, I think in one sense it should be something like, well, I'm planning on thinking about this later on this afternoon, then I thought I'd think about this, and then I thought I'd dwell on this. Most of us, that's alien. I'm just going to think about whatever I think about. And we're passive. Someone comes on the radio, I think about that. I see a billboard, I think about that. I see a pop-up on Facebook, and I think about that. And we're called to be far more active in how we think and leading our thoughts. So Philippians um, 4. Aha. I'm in Colossians now. Hold on. Philippians 4. Yeah, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Lord's at hand, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God surpasses all understanding. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard, seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So I should be concerned about what I'm thinking about. And you're not going to do that if you're being passive. If your mind's just being drawn along wherever. Oh, and that's a, that's part of the problem with living in a social media generation. Got a new alert. Got a new thing. Boom, boom. And, and not that those things are wicked, but the danger is they encourage us to be passive in what we think about. And I almost look to Facebook. What shall I think about? Let's see what people are posting about. I'll think about that stuff. Right, right. Um, and, of course, social media promotes, encourages, and rewards extreme responses. You know, you, you want to, this is shock, this will shock you. You never see it, the clickbait. This will be mildly interesting to you. <laughs> this will completely waste your time, but it's cute. This is of little importance, but you might want to know it. So you will be shocked when you find out, you know, um, and so it, 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 it incentivizes and gravitates towards extreme reactions is the nature of the medium okay we're getting through this abf we got five minutes okay five minutes who's gonna bring us home who's gonna finish this thing off well that's that's probably the biggest thing is just i gotta put this stuff on and making the connection that i need to be actively walking in truth i need to be actively acting in righteousness, not just because that's what God wants me to do, but to prepare me for when the battle comes, to 
to prepare me for when the the ambush happens um, that my faithfulness now I can't afford to be casual I mean this is how the Roman one of them this is how some historians say the Roman um, Roman Empire fell that the Roman centurions originally were, were in shape fit and powerful after they stopped fighting people they stopped being so fit and powerful they used to carry these big shields everywhere they used to you know be powerful warriors but if you haven't had a war in 20 years and so when the uh the goths and the visigoths and the uh the the barbarians invaded these people were ripped and lean and and the roman army had gotten fat and lazy and untrained and undisciplined and they got the greatest you know, empire in the world just fell to a bunch of... I mean, can you imagine how God wants to humble people? These people, like these weird tribes with blue paint on their faces. And I mean, this it's not like some sophisticated, powerful army took down the Roman Empire. A bunch of Visigoths in a frenzy and, and, and barbarians took them out, right? Um, well, God will humble you. I mean, Augustine, Augustine, sorry, no, Seb's not even here I, um, he wrote about the fall of the Rome. He, he lived through it. It was heartbreaking watching all this, I mean, all of this ancient um, technology. I mean, what's bizarre is for hundreds of years afterwards, people were living with like the aqueducts around them. They have no idea what they are or how they work. I mean, it, it's really bizarre. That's one of the reasons why the church is one of the few places where learning was kept and knowledge was kept. But in many places, the Roman technology... Um, and their their water and everything. These people didn't know them. It was, it was just a bunch of barbarians who didn't appreciate or understand any of it, any of the art, any of the culture. It's why the Renaissance had to happen, because all of that wisdom was basically lost to most people. And then, so the Renaissance is the rediscovery of Plato, Aristotle, Greek thought, philosophy, because the people who beat them didn't care about it. You know, it'd be like getting a bunch of people just coming and just destroying the computers and destroying the libraries, and we don't care about this. And Augustine is watching this like, you know, at least when the Romans beat the Greeks, they harvested all the best stuff from the Greeks. So Greek culture survives. Greek values survive. These barbarians, I mean, the reason they call, do you know why they call them barbarians? It's, it's um, onomatopoeia. They, they were so unsophisticated, they imagined all they do is walk around going bar, 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 bar. That's literally, I mean, look it up. That is literally the origin of barbarian. They're mocking these uncultured brutes and uneducated, stupid people. So the whole part was Rome just viewed them as these, these, these animals, these just wild people. Yeah, they, they, you lost to them because you started getting fat and lazy and, and undisciplined. Put on the armor. Get ready to fight. Well, the same thing can happen to us. You know? Um, anyway, we're out of time. Thank you very much.